Welcome to the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Vest, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Carrie Sawyer, who is the CEO and Chief Anti-Racism Research Officer of the Inclusion First Institute, which is itself a spinoff from the Inclusion First Project, a collaborative exploration of inclusion created by the questions and discourse of allyship in the anti-racist movement. I'm so excited for you to listen to my conversation with Carrie. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited to have Carrie Sawyer here, um, who I'm – Carrie, I feel like I know you're the founder of the Inclusion First Institute and I feel like you also have so many other hats. And so um, maybe before we get started, I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about all the cool things that you are currently working on. Thank you so much, Liz, for having me here today. I'm very excited to share my story and also super excited to be a part of a project that is all about amplifying the voices of women in their leadership and in their, you know, journey to change the world. And I feel like I'm one of those idealistic, like optimistic people. I'm like, I feel like I'm put here to make the world better. Like that's my goal before I leave. So um, just kudos to you for creating this space to talk about those stories. Thank you. It's so fun. Yes, for sure. So this morning, actually, I was just talking to my partner (laughs) about like, what should my title be? Because um, in the literally the last week, we I founded the Inclusion First Institute, which is the evolution of the Inclusion First Project. And so the Inclusion First Project is a safe space to talk about your most important questions on anti-racism and get answers and get modeling and learn how you can take those tools and skills back into your own conversations. And through... I mean, we'll get into this for sure, but um, you know, through doing this project, through collecting these questions, through analyzing what people are talking about, um, I really was drawn to the idea of, you know, what if we could do this full time? What if I could do this full time? Study anti-racism questions and figure out how to get people the solutions that they need. I was like, oh, that could be an institute. It could be the Inclusion First Institute. And so now it is. And I'm like, my title for the Inclusion First Institute is the CEO and Chief Anti-Racism Researcher. So um, super excited. That's one cool thing about when you start your own thing, you can have whatever title you want. Um, but, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can just make it up and then that's who you are. Um, But, you know, I'm a design researcher. I'm an entrepreneur. um, I'm a master manifester. You know, I worked in corporate America for a long time. And so in the last couple of years coming out of my own, this is a whole new space and it's been extremely exciting and extremely challenging and fun and scary and all the emotions. So I'm excited to get into, you know, what that has been for me for sure. Oh my goodness, I love it. And yes, I definitely want to get into all the emotions of the ride for (laughs) sure. Um, Maybe before we jump into some of that, I would love to hear, I ask all my guests this question. Um, If you could change one thing about the world, what's the one thing that you would love to change? 
That is such a great question. Um, you know, I think what I would change is that like, we often feel so threatened by like other people and other people expressing themselves and being different from us. And if I could change one thing, I would make it like the norm to like celebrate each other's differences and revel in that and support and uplift them. Because I feel like that would solve so many problems. We think that we're supposed to be the same for some reason, but we're not. We're all unique. We're all different. But when we come into contact with things that are different and we've never seen, like we have this fear reaction. What if we had like a reaction of love and upliftment and embracing that? It would be, that would be incredible. Oh my goodness. That would be incredible. I, I want to sign up for that world. <laughs> right? <laughs> Me too. Seriously. Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, well, I would love to hear a little bit more. Um, that was such a great introduction. And I would I know that you have a lot going on uh, in your world at this moment. Um, and so just to give people a little bit of a flavor, and I will say too, like, please include as much of the personal as you want to include because we are all like real humans that are so much more than our day jobs. Um, But what do your days look like right now as you work toward changing that one thing? Hmm. My days, it's so interesting because when you leave corporate America, you have a very like specific version of what productivity looks like. And as an entrepreneur, especially in a pandemic and being at home, like it just doesn't look like that. And so at first there was this like dissonance and this like, you know, war between like corporate productivity and like what productivity looks like for me. Um, And I love a slow start to the morning. Like I don't take meetings before 10 because I want to be able to wake up, meditate, journal, go on my walk, eat a breakfast, like not be rushed and then like start my day. Um, And I also really try to protect my time and not do back to back to back to back meetings. And because I'm in this creation phase, um, that definitely works for me. And I know there's other phases where you're like, I have to meet because I'm networking, I'm raising funds, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But right now I'm in this, you know, what am I making? How do I make it the way that I want it? How do I make sure that it works well? So I get a lot of time to do like that deep work where you're like, I have two hours and I can think about this thing. I can work on my podcast. I can, you know, design a new training or whatever that is. And, you know, sprinkling or peppering in a few meet and greets, but really trying to create something. And in that I need like this uninterrupted time. And my partner, he works outside of the home. So it's just me um, working from home. We didn't really have a big shift with the pandemic. He kept working outside and I kept working in the home. Um, So, you know, I'm here and (laughs) that's why my walks are so important. Like I need to get out of the house and get some fresh air, get a change of scenery just to keep me um, refreshed and energized. My partner will be like, sometimes like, did you leave the house today? Have you gone to the grocery store? Do you need to like go somewhere? Because I know you've just been here like working, working, working. Um, but the working as an entrepreneur just feels so different than it did when I was in corporate because I'm excited about the thing that I'm working on. I'm creating something new. I'm solving a problem for me. That's going to help my business to grow and thrive and be successful. And so the energy just, you know, it's not like, Oh, I have to work all day. It's like, I need to stop working. It's 1030 because, you know, (laughs) like tomorrow's a new day and I need to like make sure that I am keeping balance, right? (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. I can so identify with that. It's like, it's the most fun work ever. And (laughs) I totally hear you on like the productivity piece of like, you know, dropping that like hustle culture mentality Mm -hmm. is something I work with a lot of like my clients on. I work on myself all the time. (laughs) Constant battle, constant journey. 
Totally, totally. I'm curious, do you have any like tips or suggestions? I I similarly like love like having morning time and like making sure that my self-care comes first and not Mm -hmm. later in the day. Um, It's something honestly I'm still working on and it's something I found to be like one of the more transformative aspects of like Mm. actually embodying that like separation from like my corporate hyperproductive self. Um, I'm curious, do you have any other like tips or suggestions or thoughts for people who are like trying to deprogram that hustle mentality? Yeah, I think that the first one would be just like noticing when you're feeling that anxiety and like recognizing it and using that as a cue to like breathe and understand that you get to decide what your day is. If you're your own boss, you are creating the schedule and the only person that you have to answer to is you. So the feelings of like guilt or the shoulds, that's just all those voices in your head. So how can you like pause when you're like, oh, they're meeting at 8.30. Oh, I really should go and be on that call. I'm like, but I don't meet before 10. Me meeting at 8.30 is going to be really painful and really disrupt my entire day. So it's really better for everyone that I not meet at 8.30. And that's okay because I get to decide. <laughs> and being okay with that, like owning that. Um, but like, like you said, like I'm saying, it's a constant, it's been a year and I'm still like, should I be on that 8.30 call? Ooh, I don't know. Like, I'm like, no, it's okay. That's that's how I run my morning and that's okay for me. Totally, totally. I love that so much. And what's coming up for me, I'll just offer for anyone who's listening is like one of the things I found really helpful is I've like named that unproductive, like terrible boss in my head who says like, get on the 8.30 call. Her name is Beth. Uh, she's the worst. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> So be like, is this me talking or is this Beth talking? Like that one was definitely Beth. <laughs> wow. I love that so much. A friend recommended I name some emotions that I was having. I didn't do it, but I like the idea of it. So this is the second time I've heard it, which means I need to do it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Well, yeah, I'm here. I'm always here for like tips and tricks and recommendations on that. Cause I do think for those of us who spent a significant amount of our careers in corporate America or like adjacent to corporate America. And I mean, I still work with corporate America almost every day. Um, it is just a very different way of thinking about time and productivity and mm-hmm. a, a continuous, I feel like, reminding ourselves like we're the boss, we're the boss. We're yeah, the boss. no, absolutely. Like, should I feel guilty that I'm folding laundry right now? I don't, I don't think so. Like it needs to be folded. Doesn't matter if it happens at 1030 at night or like two in the afternoon. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> it still has to get done. Totally, totally. Well, and I know that, um, you know, one thing we've talked about that I would love to go deeper on is this idea of like success when you're building a business, like what it looks like and feels like on the inside versus like the outside piece. Mm. Um, Because it's such a wild ride. It's like emotionally day to day, week to week is such a roller coaster. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, curious yeah. what comes up for you when I when I name that. These are all things that I'm like thinking about and like talking about and exploring like again with my partner just like this week thinking about like success and what that means on the outside and for me like yes it's I mean, it's not cliche, but like they talk about women and imposter syndrome, like everyone has a version of that. And mine is really interesting um, <laughs> as I <laughs> examine it, because I think about, you know, people see what you're doing on social, that you're launching this, that you were in, you know, that magazine or whatever. These are all small magazines. I'm not saying like glamour or anything like really big, <laughs> but, you know, local things. And they're like, so much is going on. It looks amazing. You're doing so incredible. 
And then like me, I have the whole picture. Like I know that all the things that happened during the pandemic that were like derailers. I know like what my financials are. I know all of these things that I'm like, not all of these things align to what like the outside definition of success is. And so that's like another battle going on inside of my mind. I'm not sure what she's going to be called, but her voice, the Beth that's for Carrie <laughs> um, is saying like, you can't be successful and have this challenge or that problem or that bill that you didn't pay. Right. Like, no, like even though everyone thinks on the outside, it looks all bright and shiny. I'm like, a regular entrepreneur, like struggling. I'm on the struggle bus. And then also because we come from this corporate hyperproductive world, I have an unrealistic like expectation of myself and like, you know, recovering perfectionist or not even recovering. Right. So I'm judging myself to this insane standard. Um, in addition to the, you know, the Beth in my mind. And I'm just like, yeah, no, you're not, <laughs> you're like, you're a whole mess, Carrie. Um, but that's also not true either. It's also not fair um, because we're in these incredibly challenging times and life is still happening. Like, you know, when the pandemic hit, I lost all of the contracts that I had and had no job. I was on unemployment for the very first time in my life. I'm like, what is this? They give you money? Like, really? <laughs> what is this whole thing? Right. I had like, um, you know, I had a miscarriage at the beginning of the pandemic. Like all of these things were happening to me and we're in this pandemic. We're completely isolated and I'm trying to build my business. Like, how do you, like, how does all that work? I'm like, hello universe. Don't you see all these things are happening? Like, can we get a break somewhere? <laughs> but then at the same time, you have this vision for your life and for your business. And for me, I'm so passionate about, um, you know, using design thinking to look at anti-racism and diversity, equity, inclusion. Like I live and breathe this stuff. And so regardless of everything that's going on, I'm like, I also am creating this thing that I think is amazing. That is my thing. I finally found like my purpose, my life's work. And I'm like, doubling down on that. And so I basically believe that based on the last like 17 months that we've all had, like we can do and accomplish anything. Like when we look back on this, like, yeah, wait, only one thing's going on. There's no pandemic. I could do anything. Like that's easy. Everything is going to seem easy once we're done with this time period. <laughs> oh my gosh. I certainly hope so. And I also like want to say like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. That sounds like the pandemic was rough for so many people and also what a hard start to such a hard chapter. Yeah. It's, you know, and we're here, we're thriving, we're struggling, we're doing all the things, but I don't know. I just wanted to share that um, because some things we don't talk about and we should. And even if someone looks like everything is going perfect on the outside, like we know intellectually it's not, but like people are dealing with real things. And so <laughs> Um, how do we give each other grace? How do we give ourselves grace? Um, you know, this is a constant learning every day. And, you know, Liz, again, I just think it's so great for us to be talking about this because even in me verbally processing this with you is helping me to hear myself say, like, be gentle on yourself, Carrie. Like, seriously, be gentle on yourself. It's okay. <laughs> totally, totally. And I, and I also want to just say it's so human. I feel like that we we do have, I think, this often this disconnect between it's like, oh, everyone sees this as being like very successful and going very well. And then it's like, then I don't even know how to name fully the feelings of like, I don't feel like that. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> like That's, Those are perfect words. I don't feel like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're right. 
I like everything that you are seeing is objectively true. And yet there are like many, many, many moments on a day-to-day basis where I don't feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. It's um, like, I want to believe you. And like, I do believe you. I believe you on every other thing you've ever told me. And this one <laughs> thing, I have a very hard time <laughs> believing. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I wonder, like, I mean, how do you unpack that? Like, Liz, what are, I know I'm not probably supposed to ask you questions, but like. Girl, everything is welcome here. <laughs> I'm like, how do you, like, navigate that? How do you help your clients navigate that, like, just disconnect between, like, I don't feel like that. And also acknowledging that there are amazing, incredible things happening that are, you're totally successful. <laughs> totally. I mean, honestly, the the number one thing that's coming up for me as you ask that question, I think is, like making sure to celebrate everything. Mm -hmm. And this is Mm -hmm. something where like I, again, have a lot of room for improvement myself and like celebrating every single win, like even if it's a small win. And like Mm -hmm. for me, like I celebrate all my clients' wins. I celebrate my own wins. Like I am – I'm basically continuously drinking champagne. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I promise I'm like it's not a problem. It's just I feel like there's always an excuse. Awesome. I, I feel like there's just always an excuse to like be popping a bottle for something. And I do think um, I, I learned from one of my coaches. I just like love this idea of like literally saying out loud when some of these amazing things happen. And when the, like the little amazing, like, like getting a testimonial, get like these things are amazing things, like yeah. little amazing things being like, thank you so much. Like, you know, out loud to the universe or whatever power you believe in and like more please. <laughs> Right. Yes, exactly. Celebrating those things, um, drawing attention to that, like grounding in those, you know, small, medium and large successes um, so that you can draw more of them to you for sure. I'm all about that. Totally, totally. And like and and writing them down because Mm. and and like really taking stock, like I feel like I've gotten much better even just in this year now being in like the second year of entrepreneurship of like whenever I'm having a moment of feeling like it's not working, being like, okay, where was I this time last year? (laughs) Because Mm, it's so different, right? Um, And often like we do need that full year of perspective. Like if we're just looking at last week, we may not fully get it or see it. Absolutely. Those are really good tips. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, of course. And as in your journey, when you come up with more things, I'm like here for them. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Um, Well, and one thing, I mean, I know we've talked a little bit about what you're doing right now, and I definitely want to go deeper on some of the incredible anti-racism work that you are doing. But I feel like I'm always fascinated to hear, um, as are many of the kinds of women I surround myself with, how you got to where you are today and to really like take up space and tell us what your journey has looked like. Like how did you go from, you know, many years in a corporate job to, you know, running an institute as you are right now? I know. (laughs) It's so new. I'm just like, I get giddy every time that I say it. (laughs) I love it. I'm here for that. (laughs) So Liz, I would say that I'll start this story on a beach and we're in San Diego, but well, I'm in San Diego. Where are you right now? I'm in, I'm in Oakland, but my heart is almost always in San Diego. (laughs) I'm on a beach somewhere. Um, I lived in Chicago after grad school and they um, have a lot of beautiful beaches all on Lake Michigan. It's a different feel, but still lots of lakefront. And I played beach volleyball and I loved it. And so in the summertime, I was always out on the beach playing volleyball in the sun, the sand. 
And one summer I just looked around and I said, you know what? I want to live somewhere where I can always be out on the beach playing volleyball if I want to. Not just like these couple months a year because Chicago is very cold and has schizophrenic weather and all the other seasons besides like those two and a half months of summer. Um, But where can I live? Where can I be where I can play volleyball all year long? And so I started on this journey of just like telling people, you know what, this is my last winter in Chicago. People are like, oh my gosh, Carrie, that's amazing. Where are you moving? What are you doing? And I'm like, I have no idea, but I know that this is my last winter. I was certain of that. And just the way that the universe conspires to support your dreams, especially when you're on like your path. I had a friend who was like, um, she went to grad school with me. We did the exact same thing. And she lived here in San Diego and she worked for Qualcomm. And she was like, Carrie, you know, I just got engaged. I'm going to be moving to the Bay Area. I know you want to move to California. Like there's a, you should apply for my job that I'm leaving. Like I've told them all about you. You should apply. And long story short, I did apply and I got the job in California, in San Diego, where I could play volleyball all year long. And Qualcomm moved me out um, to San Diego. And Oh I my have goodness! Been, I well, I just right? wanted, I I also played beach volleyball when I was living in San oh, Diego, cool. and I like <laughs> I did not know this about you, and I so love that. <laughs> so That's amazing. Okay, well, we need to play volleyball together at some point. Um, <laughs> totally. I'm t- spoiler alert. I'm not very good at beach volleyball, but I love it. So. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> there, it's just like one of my happy places for sure. So. I had been like a chronic job hopper before I came to Qualcomm um, because I would get bored. Like you'd be working for a startup or for an internet company or for whatever. And I would just get bored with the work. And so Qualcomm was the first company that I ever worked for where I didn't get bored because they were always doing something new, um, inventing things that I had never heard of. Like I was just like, oh, you can do that with technology. Oh, you can do that with technology. Like it was just really exciting. Um, to be a part of a company that was doing had that was doing so many things and had their hands in so many different sectors, like every sector you can think of, they were doing something in it, inventing something new. And I was also really drawn to their employee networks. Um, Qualcomm has a lot of them from LGBTQ plus to the black group, the Latino group, the women's group, the um, veteran group, et cetera, et cetera. And so I jumped into that um, really quickly after after joining Qualcomm and found like this just amazing group of like like-minded women. Um, I jumped into the women's group first and then the African-American group after that, but like-minded people and friends and was spending like so much of my time um, volunteering for these different diversity initiatives. And, you know, I got on the boards and I was like the vice president or the president at certain points. And so I was just like, this was my second job. This was like my diversity side hustle is what I've heard it called. <laughs> and um, I'm a person who I love learning. So I'm always in this workshop or that workshop. And I had signed up up for a women's leadership workshop and they gave us homework to um, get feedback from different people that we work with or in our lives about our strengths and our opportunity spaces. And so I had gone and talked to my boss and asked if he would give me some feedback. And at, at this time, I'm a user experience researcher. I have a design background, a degree in human computer interaction. And so I'm on this design team doing research on Qualcomm's technology. And so I sit down in my boss's office to get this feedback. And this man had never given me any negative feedback before. So I was there just, you know, waiting to hear some good stuff about myself. And he said, you know, Carrie, I am so um, like happy and impressed by the work that you're doing outside of our team, like your involvement and your enthusiasm with these different groups, the women's group and the African-American group, and you're really representing us well. And I love the passion that you're showing. Now, what I would really like is if you could show that same passion and enthusiasm for the work that you're doing on our team. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I was like, because I thought I was doing like amazing on all fronts and no one knew I had this secret life. And apparently like I was the only one who didn't know that everyone knew. <laughs> um, and my like visceral reaction was like, no, like I can't show the same passion for my job that I'm showing for like, you know, women's empowerment and empowerment of minorities, because that's like, that's my space. And though I love my job and I love user experience and human-centered design, I really think about it as being like right-handed. Like this is how I see the world. This is how I navigate. But no one is passionate about being right-handed. Like it's just not, it's just who you are, right? Um. <laughs> that's funny because I'm left-handed and I feel like I am somewhat passionate about being left-handed, but maybe that is true for right-handed people. <laughs> I know we're like the, you know, like it's this, the world is designed for us. It's like the right-handed privilege, right? Um, so uh, we take it for granted, but I had this reaction and I was like, well, that was a really strong reaction, Carrie, this strong, no, I couldn't be as passionate. And so I'm like, well, how could I be as passionate about the user experience research that I'm doing? So I kind of went on this journey to like discover how to feel that passion. I'm like, well, I would be passionate about user experience if I was doing user experience work on diversity stuff, that would be amazing. And the bridge that I found between these two worlds is design thinking. And design thinking really is like a problem solving paradigm. It's all centered around people. There's, you know, iteration, there's testing, there's innovation, there's all these beautiful things. And I'm like, what if we used design thinking to work on the diversity inclusion challenges of the company. And like, you know, my brain just like blew up when I had that idea. I'm like, oh, this is totally a thing. And so I ended up going on this, um, going out and talking to the diversity people that I had been volunteering with. And they knew me, they knew how dedicated I was. And so they listened to my idea. I did a whole pitch. I created a deck and I was like, let's use design thinking to solve the minority STEM pipeline at Qualcomm. And I got into like some, you know, upper HR manager's office to like pitch this idea. And they were like, Carrie, we love your enthusiasm. We think this is great. We love design thinking. What if we use design thinking on staffing and hiring? Because that's a big priority at our company right now. And I was like, <laughs> Absolutely. There's so much diversity and inclusion stuff in staffing and hiring. And so I went back, I redid my pitch and I got the green light to do the project. It went all the way up to the V or the like the head of HR and she said yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I get to do my own project on diversity stuff. And so we went off, I got to uh, form a team. And we went off and we studied uh, hiring and staffing through a design thinking lens and came up with all these recommendations. And around the like, end of the project, I ended up getting poached by Intel to go and do diversity inclusion work for them. Um, and so they were like really on the forefront of diversity and inclusion in tech at the time. And it would have been crazy not to go. So I went, went and worked for Intel, got to learn a lot of stuff. Um, they had wanted me to move pretty soon after I had started. They wanted me to move to like Chandler, Arizona, or just not, not places I wanted to go. There's and no so beach volleyball <laughs> in Chandler, Arizona. <laughs> no, there is not. <laughs> So I ended up um, starting to work my network back at Qualcomm. And around that time, they were building out uh, their first diversity, equity, and inclusion team. And so I got hired to come back and be a manager on the diversity, equity, inclusion team and um, was really, really excited about that work. Now, back when I had the idea to use design thinking um, for staffing and for the Minority STEM Pipeline, I was like, this is like a book. This is a podcast. This is a whole company. And I just kind of like had that in the back of my mind um, that, you know, I could maybe go out, go out on my own because that was like a novel approach to this work. And, you know, fast forward a few years, like the timing was right. And I was able to go out on my own and start my own diversity and inclusion and design thinking company. 
And this was like 2019 at this point. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it because like consulting was, sorry that about that noise. Um, so consulting was interesting to me, but like it wasn't really where my passion was um, because I really want to create change. And a lot of times corporations aren't ready to create real change. And so, um, you know, fast forward to when the pandemic hit, I mentioned that I lost all of the contracts that I have. And I'm just kind of sitting at home in, you know, March and April of 2020 thinking like, you know, what can I do? Um, Mm -hmm. And I decided that I was going to double down on building my business at that time and really like figuring out what that could be. And a couple months later, you know, we have all this racial unrest, civil unrest, And I ended up starting the Inclusion First project. And it just came out of the need that people had to talk and ask questions. I had a lot of people texting me, friends calling me, asking questions about race, what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world. And um, I was like, you know, what if we actually just created a space for people to come and ask whatever questions that they wanted? Um, We would make it a safe space, judgment-free, super simple concept. You send in your questions ahead of time. We'll get on a webinar and we'll answer them. And I actually started this with Kyle. <laughs> so <laughs> Kyle's a big yes person. And so she and I jumped on webinars and we started to answer questions for people. Now, the very first qu- session that we ran, we had about 30 people who wanted to have their anti-racism questions answered. They'd sent them in. I'm looking down at these 25 questions that I have. And I'm a design researcher by training. And so I'm looking at these questions and I'm like, These questions are data. If I could collect a ton of questions and I could analyze the questions, find out what are the top things that people care the most about, and then figure out how to answer those questions, how to connect them with solutions, with resources, with people to follow, with books to read, I could help people get answers. And once I realized that, I like was off and running. I spent the next year collecting questions, running webinars. At a certain point, I was running anti-racism for allies like once a week, getting guests, um, people that I knew, people that I didn't know, um, talking about and walking through how to talk about race, how to answer these questions. And we ended up collecting 700 questions from 42 states around the U.S. Wow. And, you know, this I have this data and now what can I do with it? And... I started my like design research analysis and I came up with like the top themes and I'm like, oh, this is a book. I should write a book on this. So I'm working on a book, of course. But then I'm like, you know, what else? How can I, how can I really make this impactful? And making it impactful for me was about how do you scale this? How do you get more questions? How do you get more answers to more people? You need an organization to do that. And so that's how the idea for the Inclusion First Institute came about. Also, you know, I'm like always the person who's like, what is the thing that I want to do? What would be the most fun? How can I like live my days, live my life, work every day doing something that is amazing and fun and energizing to me? And the idea of studying these questions and helping people to decipher what they really need and then helping them to get that, that was like, I mean, that was like my jam. And so now, I just, I told you, Liz, before we were talking, like I just got a grant to support the Inclusion First Institute to really help to stand it up and to help it to create a great foundation and do all the things. So I'm like, my head is spinning. I'm super excited. And, you know, it's another like version of it's go time again. So, you know, (laughs) where we are. (laughs) Totally. That is so cool. And I love that. I love how casually you were like, I'm writing a book, of course. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've got all this data, so <laughs> got to do something with it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, I definitely want to hear more about the book if you're willing to share. And I know you also have a podcast, so would love to hear more about the podcast as well. You can start with whichever one feels better. It's so funny because it sounds like I'm doing like the most, right? <laughs> but when you're like it's, in it, your But it head. sounds so aligned, honestly. Like, I guess it's a lot of stuff, but it's all – it's. I, I see how it all relates and is mutually reinforcing. Yeah. Luckily, because that's one of the biggest challenges I feel like in business is like how do you – there's so many things that you can do and you're the one who decides. Like how do you pick something that's going to keep building on itself versus like – creating all these verticals and now you're managing in this distribu- distributed and like diluted way. So, um, so yeah, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for that. They are all related, even though sometimes I'm like, what you're, what's happening right now, Carrie, like focus, <laughs> focus, focus. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can stop, talk about the book first. I don't have a title for the book yet, but um, it really is all about the questions that we got and the learnings and then providing answers. And so I came up with 12 themes that were identified from the data about the types of questions that people ask the most. And what I want to do is pull out some of these actual questions that people from the U.S. asked and then provide those answers. And then also provide some, okay, you want to learn more about this? Here's something that you can read, something you can watch, someone you can follow so that people can continue on this learning journey because it's such an important part of anti-racism, of social justice and equity work. Um, Absolutely. Well, and if I could jump in and ask if you're willing to share some of the themes, I imagine people will be very curious. I'm curious. Yeah. So I will share the top three themes. So the number one thing that people ask the most about is actually like just racism overall. Like a lot of the questions were indicative of the fact that people don't understand what racism is. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to explain it. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know if they're doing it. And so I have a whole chapter on like understanding, (laughs) understanding racism. And fundamentally, this is so important because how can we fix something when everyone has a different version of what it is, right? We need Mm -hmm. like a shared language and a shared understanding so that we can say, okay, this is our definition. We can stop arguing about that. Now let's talk about how we can fix it. So that's the first big theme. Um, The second big theme is uh, talking about race. And so people want to know, like, how do I talk to my grandma? How do I talk to my coworker? How do I talk to my kids? Like, how do I talk to a friend? How do I talk to a stranger? How do I convince someone who doesn't believe me that this these things are happening? Um, And so this whole slew of questions around talking about race. Um, And of course, you know, that that's like not super unexpected. we know that we get in these conversations and we feel oftentimes um, afraid or inadequate or unsure. And so sometimes we just like stop or avoid having them all together. But again, we can't talk about something. How can we fix it? So it all goes back to like, how do we activate people? And that brings me to the third top theme, which is how do I take action? And I think this one is, it's so important, but it's also important that we address some of the previous themes first, because if you take action from where you are, you're not sure what racism is, you don't know like what it looks like, how can you fix it? How do we actually ground ourselves in more knowledge, more information and create like kind of a growth path for continued learning before we decide to start taking action? Because if we act from like our current ideologies in our current space, we're going to recreate the same things. So how do we make a shift, even if it's a small one, so that we can create something that is more inclusive and more equitable and coming from um, those types of principles versus the ideologies that we've grown up in that oftentimes are very um, invisible to us, but also very damaging? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm hearing from your perspective, the, the three themes are, what is racism? How mm-hmm. to talk about race? 
and how do I take action? And the asterisk on the third theme is like before taking action, make sure that you right. understand what racism is and have some grounding in like how to talk about race. Exactly. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, and I'm curious for anyone who's listening who's like, well, maybe like I don't know what racism is. Like what would be – and I know that there's such a huge body of work and so much that people can read on this topic. But how would you define racism for someone who's like looking for that nugget to then go deeper on this? Right. Absolutely. So racism is really – any like thought, action, behavior, speech that is like negatively impacting people of a different race, where you are devaluing them, demeaning them, um, thinking of them as less. And I like to really think about racism like this kind of giant old fashioned like wheel with spokes, like it's rolling over people, like people are caught in the spokes or like getting rolled over by the spokes and by the wheel. And it's this thing like that's just happening in the background of, of our lives. There's like this track that's happening and it's just rolling around us all the time. And it's so important that we not just call out racism, because if you just call out, hey, look, there's racism, that wheel is still rolling over people. It's still causing harm. That's why we have to interrupt it. That's why we have to break the wheel. And how do we start to understand it and really um, communicate and lift up like we're we're all the same. Um, we all have value and we all deserve the same opportunities. And just in the way that this our society has been um, developed and framed and perpetuated, like there's all of these racist ideologies that are just we're swimming in it, right? We're swimming in this tainted water and we often don't realize it. I like my stance is like we all have racist tendencies because we have grown up in a world and in a country that is racist. So there's, it's just not possible for us not to have this. So how do we start to identify it first in ourselves so that we can interrupt it and replace it with something more inclusive, something more equitable? Um, because that's where, that's where the change starts, right? If you don't change your own beliefs and your own views, then how are you going to change it on the outside as well? And just starting with that fundamental like truth that, hey, there's some things in me that are not inclusive and that are not equitable. How do I root those out so that I can be the person that I want to be so that I can create the most positive change and so that I can't, so that I can navigate the world without accidentally being racist. Even if I don't intend to do that, we're still like, you know, it's still inside of us, right? So how do we get it out and how do we acknowledge that it's there? How do we get it out? And then how do we transform it into something that can be used to create more inclusion, more equity in the world where we all can thrive, no matter who we are, what we look like? And the thing about racism is the same skills that you use to not be racist are the same skills you use to not to be not sexist and not homophobic and not xenophobic. Like these are all transferable skills. You don't have to go and relearn. Um, it's like it's a it's a paradigm shift that you can apply to being inclusive and being equitably minded in every single area of your life with every type of different person that exists in this world. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for breaking that down. And I really love the wheel visual in terms of like just as a way of thinking about this. And so I'm I'm curious if you had to – coaching, a lot of coaching is about baby steps. And mm -hmm. if you had, um, you know, a baby step to recommend for people who are, like, very interested in rooting out, you know, their own internal racism and, like, stopping the wheel, disrupting the wheel, what would you say is, like, your maybe top one, two, or three tips for, for ways to get started with that? Sure. So – 
Honestly, the number one tip that I have is to educate yourself. Um, If you're not willing to educate yourself, then you're not willing to interrupt the racism that is happening inside of you or that's happening around you right? You're, you're just not going to see, you're not going to have the tools to be able to talk about it, to be able to help bring people together. Um, so how do you start that process? And you can start right where you are. Like the inclusion first podcast is really all about showing how people are working in their own sphere of influence in their own day-to-day life to like interrupt racism in some way, or to create more inclusion, because we all are uniquely situated in communities, at a work, in a family. And that's where we have the biggest opportunity to create positive change right where we are doing the things that we already love to do. And so how do you start to educate yourself so that you can recognize when things are inequitable, when there's bias playing out, when there's racism playing out around you, and so that you can start to interrupt that and transform it. And one book that I love to recommend, um, this book is, I would say, It's not an easy book to read, um, but it is a very impactful and very eye-opening book to read. And it's called Me and White Supremacy, and it's by Layla Saad. And so white supremacy is actually a pretty misunderstood word. When we think of white supremacy, we think of like KKK and burning crosses. And yes, those are white supremacists, but white supremacy really is the idea that whiteness is centered and that things are white are better than things that are not white. This is where anti-blackness comes from. This is the foundation of racism. And so Layla Saad really breaks down what she means. But what she also does that is so beautiful is she goes through all of these different scenarios where you can see how your views, your ideologies um, have racist um, undertones, if you will, and where societally these racist overtones and undertones are also existing. And so if you're like, oh, I'm not a racist, if you read her book, you will absolutely see, oh, wow, I didn't know that I thought that about in that particular situation. I didn't know about, you know, what happens in healthcare. I didn't know about education. I didn't know. So she really breaks down and really helps you not just to see on the outside what's happening in the world, but like how your own thoughts um, have these undertones that you're likely not aware of, but absolutely need to shift if you're going to be an agent of change and an ally in anti-racism or any other elimination of ism in this world. And so I always recommend that book. You, there, you know, How to Be an Anti-Racist is a, is a great book as well. But as far as introspection, which is where I really think every person should start, her book, Me and White Supremacy, will really just blow the lid off of your understanding of racism, specifically grounded in your own experience and your own navigation of the world. Thank you so much for that recommendation. I, I mean, it is, it's so pervasive and I, I totally appreciate that point that like the introspection, like the introspection is something that like we all have control over, right? And we all have the ability to, to, to take that time and the responsibility arguably to take that time um, and to reflect. And I'm also very glad that you brought up your podcast because I did want to come back to that. And I do think that there's something so powerful about showcasing how people are taking anti-racist action in their current day-to-day lives. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, like, what has been the most fun part of having that podcast for you so far? I would say the most fun part is just getting getting to have these conversations with people that I respect and that I really enjoy talking with. So I'm unsure what other podcasters' experience is, but as a new podcaster, you know, I just launched my podcast a month ago. 
Um, you start off with people that you know. <laughs> so the people that you think are smart and then are fun to talk with, you talk with them first. And so that's what I'm doing and really getting to dig deeper into different people's stories. Um, so I've had some really delightful conversations, even with people that I don't know as well, but I respect the work that they're doing and that I've seen um, the impact that they're having out there in the world. Um, so it's been really fun just to get to know the details of someone and how they think and get to kind of go on this journey of exploring, like, what does activism look like um, to you? How do you define those things? And how does it actually show up for you in your world? Um, and this idea, you know, I asked the question, like, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Most people say no, because they think about Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Booker T. Washington, like all these different people. Um, but if you think about activism like a spectrum, those people are on the far, far side. You could be you know, there's so many small things that you can do in your everyday life that are activists, that are activism, um, and that will help to bring change. You don't need to be on the news or out pounding the pavement to create change. Like I said, you can create change right where you are. And if everyone does that, all these concentric circles eventually like touch and we've created this incredible web of inclusion and equity just by being more aware of the change that I can make right in my own circle. Oh, I love that so much. I mean, I think we are all, both as individuals and collectively, just so much more powerful than I think we realize um, on a day-to-day -day basis. For sure. In terms of, I mean, just, yeah, our, our individual actions, they add up. And so yep. um, I love I love that framing of like, we are all activists, like, should we choose to accept that challenge? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and how do we inspire people to step into that? whether large or small, it matters. Every every little bit matters. Totally. Totally. Um, well, I do want to be respectful of your time and I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um, it's been so fun. <laughs> so fun. Um, and I want to ask you just a few kind of like quick hit questions um, that I've been asking some of my guests. Um, just I'm a sucker for like an inspirational quote and advice. So if you would be willing to share um, I have a few just like kind of quick questions for you. And the first one is like, what is your favorite inspirational quote right now? Hmm. So I'm like looking on my wall right now to see like what kinds of things are up there that I'm, <laughs> that I've got going on. Um, you know, for me, I have had this quote up for several months and it's to constantly remind myself like this question, like what would I love um, and just thinking about as I'm creating the things that I'm creating, as I'm interacting, as I'm being in these different relationships, like how do I stay centered on the things that bring me joy, bring me peace? Um, because it's, I mean, we talked about imposter syndrome starting this off. Like there's so many messages coming on. There's so much anxiety. There's all this stress. But how do I try to stay centered in this space of like love and peace and calm and enjoyment? You know, I'm looking at my day and deciding what I'm going to do. Why don't do the tedious thing? Do the thing that's going to give me energy because so much amazing creative stuff comes from that like energy and that enjoyment of moving through your day versus like, oh, I got to like, there's things we got to do. Sure. But getting away from the shoulds and really understanding what is it that's going to make me light up today? How am I going to have the most fun today and enjoy the work that I'm doing? Because that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me, you know, working until, until 1030. And being excited to get up and do more in the morning. And that's where I am in my life right now. You know, this is this is the hustle time and um, being able to stay energized is really important. So that's something that I, I have up on my wall right now and I see it every day and it helps me to um, just have that in my mind um, as I'm, you know, deciding what I'm going to do and how I'm going to be. 
Oh my goodness. Well, I love that for so many reasons. Um, one, <laughs> you remind, I have one of my post-its that I'm currently looking at says yes to fun and changing the world. And love it. Like, <laughs> so, so aligned with your description of that post-it. And honestly, my uh, so you, you can have more than one because my next question, uh, I feel like so many of the women in my world, like we are all crazy people with our post our inspirational post-it notes. And I do think yep. one day I'm going to create like a stack of inspirational post-it notes, like pre-populated with some of these messages because everyone has so many great right? ones. Just pick them up. They're already um, written. <laughs> totally. Just like be surprised with like what wisdom your, your post-it pad has for you today. Um, so I'm <laughs> curious. <laughs> Thank you. Um, if you were going to have an inspirational post-it note and we can like we can totally include what you had just shared as as one entry. But if there's another one, is there anything else that you would put on an inspirational post-it for people? I would. It would be every day in every way I'm getting better and better. And so like no matter what happened today or yesterday, like it's part of me growing and learning and, you know, moving towards creating that life that I love, moving towards the life of my dreams, everything, even the things that don't seem like it, or even the negative things, it's all part of this, this beautiful recipe that is me. And every day and every way I'm getting better and better. And that helps me also to not be as hard on myself and know that every little bit, every forward step, every backward step, every sideways step is part of who I am and is making me stronger and getting me closer to where I want to be. Ah, oh, that is so beautiful. What a beautiful like message and quote. And honestly, I feel like that's we have I feel like we have to end on that note because it is such a perfect note and message. <laughs> but but <laughs> before we hang up, I do wanna um do wanna ask like for people who want to get involved, like with the Inclusion First Podcast Institute, with all the amazing work that you're doing, um, what's the best way for people to find you, follow you, get involved, um, and take action? Awesome. Thank you so much for this space to, to share this, Liz. So you can follow us on include um, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook at the Inclusion First Project. And we also have the inclusionfirstproject.org for our website. Um, join our mailing list because that will get you direct access to all of the free content that we're creating, the podcast as those are releasing twice a week. Um, as we, you know, I'll, announce the launch of the Inclusion First Institute and everything that you can get access to with that, um, definitely join our community um, and just stay up to date with what we're doing because we are the Inclusion First Institute. You know, we're going to be growing and scaling our impact and anyone who can help us to connect to people, to information, to resources. We want to we want to have them on our list so that we can continue to show them what we're doing and continue to answer those questions on anti-racism and and add value as people are navigating this path and helping us to make the world better. Amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your tips on anti-racist action, for sharing your story, for helping me discover our shared love of beach volleyball. <laughs> Yay! I know. I love that so much. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, just so appreciate your making time for this. Um, and I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing to, to make the world a better place where we can hopefully start to really enter with love, as you had described at the beginning. I think that's such a beautiful starting place. I would love to see us get closer to that. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. This has been a blast as always. And I'm excited to listen to all of these women who are changing the world. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. 
please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at liz.best, B-E-S-T, or by searching my name on LinkedIn. You can also sign up for my three-day personal branding challenge, which is totally free, by visiting my website, which is Elizabeth with an S, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H, best, B-E-S-T, dot com slash personal branding challenge. See you in the next episode.